It's August 31st. I have my fantasy draft tonight. Enough with the foreplay, Fantasy Mansion. Enough teasing. Just tell me who to draft. I want some free advice. Give me my free advice and give it to me now. Fine. Here's some free advice for you, suckas. That's what you want right now. I get it. It's August 31st. You're not interested in heavy petting. You just want me to strip naked and have sex. That's it. I want the sex now. January, February, March, April, May, June, July. Fine with the foreplay. Give me the tools of the trade. Teach me how to fish. But it's August 31st. There's no time to learn how to fish. Just tell me who to draft. Take it off. Bend over and tell me who to draft. Fine, I'll tell you who to draft. I'll give you your free advice right now. But I'm warning you, once I'm done giving it to you and you're exhausted, you're post-coital, you're looking at the ceiling, at that point, I will bring on J.J. Zacharyson and we will talk fantasy football strategy. Once you have been given the answers to the test, we are going to go back to the beginning and talk about the philosophy that led to the construction of the answer key. So this is a backward show. The answers are up front, and then we will provide a map that shows you how to get to those answers. I've been in a handful of expert drafts recently, and I'm going to tell you who I was drafting in each of those rounds. Because it's full of experts going zero RB, we will assume that I am getting these players a round after I was forced to draft them against the experts. So in round one, I am targeting Allen Robinson. I do not believe Allen Robinson is going to regress. I think that he will continue to be the target hog in Jacksonville, especially in the red zone. There's nothing on the Allen Robinson profile that suggests he is going to regress. In round two, target Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks is this year's DeAndre Hopkins. He is an ascending third-year player, a Bolitnikoff winner with upper percentile workout metrics. He is now the entrenched number one receiver on that depth chart after the departure of Marcus Colston, and he will receive a target spike in his third year in the league, similar to the target spike that DeAndre Hopkins experienced last year. In the third round, you should be drafting Dante Moncrief. We're going to be drafting six wide receivers to start, so you can chase the upside. That's the beauty of zero RB is because it gives you the luxury of chasing wide receivers with higher ceilings earlier in the draft. And you can look for this year's Allen Robinson. And I think his name is Dante Moncrief. In the fourth round, you should be drafting Golden Tate. Golden Tate could lead the league in target share. You keep hearing about Marvin Jones. We're going to draft Marvin Jones later. Don't worry. That's my favorite wide receiver duo. Golden Tate and Marvin Jones lock up the lion's share of the targets in Detroit, but Golden Tate, he was a high-end WR1 in the games Calvin Johnson missed the last two years, so he will receive voluminous targets in the middle of the field in the red zone all over. And then follow up Golden Tate with Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones has been going in the fourth round of expert leagues because he was an efficient receiver opposite A.J. Green, and now he goes to a team that does not have an A.J. Green, but... Matthew Stafford throws the ball more than Andy Dalton did. So by getting Marvin Jones and Golden Tate, you're locking up the majority of the receptions and yards and touchdowns in a Detroit offense, which finishes in the top 10 in pass attempts every year. And then if Golden Tate gets hurt, that boosts Marvin Jones. And if Marvin Jones gets hurt, that boosts Golden Tate. 
I love wide receivers like Jones and Tate because each serves as the other's handcuff. In round six, Stephon Diggs. Ignore the fact that Teddy Bridgewater was hurt. Teddy Bridgewater averaged 200 yards in a touchdown last year. That's what Sean Hill's going to do. It's not a significant downgrade from Teddy Bridgewater to Sean Hill, and Stephon Diggs was more efficient than Amari Cooper last year and will receive a higher target share than Amari Cooper this year. In the seventh round, target Duke Johnson. He has that perfect combination of standalone PPR value with true RB1 upside if thrust into an every down roll. And then in round eight, you have to draft Jonathan Stewart. If the Panthers decide to implement a Cam Newton health savings plan, then Jonathan Stewart, who finished top five in the league last year in rush yards per game, will finish top five in both rush yards per game and touchdowns per game this year. In round nine, you should be drafting Charles Sims for the same reason you're drafting Duke Johnson in round seven. Standalone PPR value with RB1 in fantasy upside should Doug Martin go down. In round 10, you should be drafting TJ Yeldon. For the same reason you're drafting Duke Johnson and Charles Sims. It's just that TJ Yeldon isn't known as an electric space back in the way that Duke Johnson already is and Charles Sims is already thought to be. But TJ Yeldon was one of the most efficient running backs in the passing game last year and finished top 12 in the league in juke rate on playerprofiler.com. So he's one of the more elusive space backs in the league. And because he's 220 pounds, if something happens to Chris Ivory, he will become a bell cow in an offense that has to score a lot of points. In round 11, I'm targeting Tevin Coleman. Because very few running backs have Todd Gurley level running skills between the tackles and outside the tackles. Tevin Coleman's one of them, a threat to score a touchdown on any given play. He is more of a bench player because by the time you hit round 11, you're drafting bench running backs. So Tevin Coleman is the perfect stash running back. In the next round, round 12, you should be drafting Jarek McKinnon for the same reason you're drafting Tevin Coleman. Both Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon have top five fantasy RB potential if the running back they share a backfield with gets injured. Jarek McKinnon is the most athletic running back in the NFL. Go to his workout metrics on playerprofiler.com and you're going to see every single metric from speed score to burst score to agility score all in the 90th percentile. He is a sublime athlete and he's able to translate his skills onto a football field unlike other tremendous athletes that never fired at the NFL level like Kristen Michael. If you can't get Jarek McKinnon, go after Chris Thompson because Chris Thompson is the holy union of Danny Woodhead and Theo Riddick. He will play the Theo Riddick space role back in that offense and threaten 80 receptions because he's the only player who's competent in space in the passing game on Washington. And because Matt Jones likes to fumble the ball, Chris Thompson, like Danny Woodhead, will be the only running back that Jay Gruden can trust in the red zone. So I believe that Chris Thompson will receive a number of screens out of the backfield inside the red zone, similar to how San Diego uses Danny Woodhead. So my recommendation is you start your draft with six receivers and then six running backs and then take a couple more upside receivers. 
you should be targeting Tyler Boyd in round 13. He will supplant Brandon LaFell sooner rather than later in Cincinnati and become the number two option in the passing game. Tyler Eifert's hurt. So the Bengals need receivers that can step up. Tyler Boyd's age-adjusted productivity at the college level was some of the best in his draft class. He's simply a great football player. Pittsburgh used him out of the backfield. They used him on special teams. They used him everywhere because Tyler Boyd has great football instincts, and he will be productive in that Bengals offense with the sneaky, efficient Andy Dalton. And then in round 14, you should be targeting Jermaine Curse. Jermaine Curse is the most undervalued wide receiver in all of fantasy. He's the starting receiver opposite Doug Baldwin in two receiver sets for the Seattle Seahawks. He's also the biggest receiver, so he will receive a significant red zone target share. After Jermaine Curse, grab your quarterback. One of the following will be available in this order. Tyrod Taylor, Kirk Cousins, Jameis Winston, or Joe Flacco. The Ravens led the NFL in pass attempts last season, so Joe Flacco is going to get the volume. It doesn't matter who's out there running around. And I believe that by the end of this season... Tyrod Taylor, Kirk Cousins, and Jameis Winston will all be considered superstars at the quarterback position. So you can't go wrong with any of those four at the end of the draft. Then you should wrap up your draft with a tight end. One of either Will Ty, Vance McDonald, Virgil Green, or Lance Kendricks in that order. I love Will Ty because he's the only big receiver in that passing game. It's a bunch of little receivers and Will Ty. So I think Will Ty will be a dominant red zone weapon for Eli Manning. I think Vance McDonald is going to fill the target share void in the wake of the Bruce Ellington injury in San Francisco. And I think that it's conceivable that Vance McDonald leads the 49ers in targets in 2016. Virgil Green was by far and away the most dominant receiver on the field for the Denver Broncos, and he's one of the most athletic tight ends in the league, and he already has great blocking skills, so he profiles as an every-down, uber-athletic tight end. What's not to like about Virgil Green? And outside of Kenny Britt, Lance Kendricks looks like the best all-around receiver on the LA Rams at this moment. So there's your draft. That's it. Go smoke a cigarette. Now let's go talk to J.J. Zacharyson from Number Fire. Go follow him on Twitter at Late Round Quarterback. And also go to ApexFantasyLeagues.com to play high stakes fantasy. Apex Fantasy Leagues is the best place to play seasonal fantasy football for money. With a skill-based format and industry-leading payouts, Apex ensures the best fantasy players win big. Apex is now offering Dynasty Leagues. So go to ApexFantasyLeagues.com and sign up today. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Podcast. J.J. Zacharyson, the managing editor of Number Fire. J.J. Zacharyson, talk to me. What's going on, buddy? What's going on, buddy? Yes, buddy. Buddy is is what we refer to each other as. Buddy is accurate because you're one of the few people in this industry I've actually met in person, and you're the only person in this entire industry I've spent more than 30 minutes talking to. Yeah, in person. If my math is correct. I think that makes you my best friend in the industry. <laughs> yes, that makes us buddies. Yes, we're buds. Yes. So I'm having my butt on the show. 
FSTA, man. That was a good time. We had we 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 met Jordan Matthews from afar. We saw we lurked around Jordan Matthews trying to bump into him and it didn't work out. <laughs> so that was great. We talked to Matthew Barry. I stumbled around and dropped business cards on his feet by accident and then I was stuttering and that didn't work out so well. But we had a good time. We had a great time bonding, watching other fantasy analysts go up on stage and pitch their new ideas. That was the highlight. That was the highlight. Some of them were potentially revolutionary. Others were cringeworthy. But those guys had guts to go up there and do it. One of these days, I'm going to have the courage to get in front of people and talk. Oh, wait, we do that every week on our podcast. You have a podcast, Living the Stream with Denny Carter. That's one of the most popular fantasy football podcasts in the world. It's fun, man. It's a it's a really good time. Uh, even though Denny Carter is my co-host, we still somehow thrive. <laughs> Yes, yes, despite that handicap. I've had Denny Carter on the show. It was great. We had a good time. We're going to revisit a couple players that Denny Carter likes that I don't like later in the show. But I want to start by talking about a couple expert drafts that you and I have suffered through in the last few days, in the last few weeks, really. The first one was the Apex expert draft. And what was noteworthy about that draft was that half of the drafters, Graham Barfield, myself, and a handful of others, decided to go full zero RB, taking wide receiver in the first four, five, six rounds. And I'd never seen that play out. It's only been a theoretical, what Mm -hmm. if half the draft goes zero RB? And in that draft, it actually happened. And then I think what we saw was it was all the more important to make sure you locked up those wide receivers early. So it just strengthened the case for zero RB. The case against zero RB that I'm hearing right now is that 2016 is going to be an RB renaissance year. And that last year was an outlier when so many of those elite running backs busted from the Mm -hmm. first five rounds of fantasy drafts. What's your take on zero RB and the possibility that we're about to experience an RB renaissance. So I think that what's going to happen this season is a mix of 2014 and 2015. And I know that's kind of a, that's the most JJ answer ever, but just down the middle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like with, with, I mean, but like I'm, I'm being, you know, it's, it's not like I'm making this take just to like make, like I believe in it, you know? And, and, so if you look at last season and the way that running backs busted, yes, it was a slight outlier. If you look at 2014, uh, and if you look at the last five years, there's a clear trend that favors wide receivers early. Uh, you know, I've done a, that bust rate article on Number Fire. It talks about how, <clears throat> you know, in, in the middle rounds of your drafts, the sixth, seventh, and eighth round, it is easier to find running back value than it is wide receiver value. There's a pretty big drop at both positions after about round five and into round six of 12 team leagues where, you know, you're getting a little sketchy. The, the guys that you're drafting have very, very low hit rates in terms of producing running back one, running back two, wide receiver one, wide receiver two numbers. But <clears throat> at the same time, at the front end of your of the first round uh, and really any part of the first four rounds, um, there is an edge to wide receivers uh, from from a bust rate standpoint, which is the reason why you would want to go wide receiver early. And it's not just based off of last season. It's based off of uh, the last the last five. Uh, so really, I mean, that, that's that's just one angle as to why you would be going wide receiver early. What is the bust rate differential between running backs and wide receivers the last 
five years. The way that I looked at it was I was I looked at groupings of six. So RB1 to RB6, RB7, RB12. So And then I looked at the median rank and then where these guys finish in terms of finishing as an RB1, RB2, so by 12. So I grouped up in six and then saw where they finished by 12. So RB1 to RB6 over the last five years, uh, 50% of them have finished as an RB1. So basically your, your top six running backs, you have a half, half – a 50% chance that one of those guys is going to be a, a, a top 12 running back. Whereas at wide receiver, you have a 73.33% chance that one of those guys is going to be a top 12 wide receiver. Not only that, but the median rank among those wide receivers is 6.5. The median rank among those running backs is 12. So so you're, you're looking at a situation where it's very obvious. And, you know, if you're getting a top six wide receiver versus a top six running back, you should favor those top six wide receivers. And then what's really interesting, too, is that when you get to the 7 to 12 group at running back versus the 7 to 12 group at wide receiver, that actually kind of favors the running back position. That's the one place in uh, these drafts in, in the early rounds where from a bust rate perspective, strictly a bust rate perspective, that's where it sort of favors the, the running back position because running back 7 through 12, the median rank is 13.5, which is not that much different than running backs 1 through uh, 6. And it has the exact same hit rate in terms of becoming an RB1. It has a better hit rate at becoming an RB2, whereas wide receiver 7 through 12 has a median rank of 19.5. So there's a big drop-off once you go from those elite wide receivers to, to the next group, which kind of makes sense intuitively, right? You, you have the A.J. Greens, the Julio Jones, the guys who are always producing year in and year out. And I, I think that's where you get into the a situation where – you're going to find people questioning or or in my case a, a lot of the way that I'm approaching drafts this year is if I'm at the turn I'm fine with getting a Lamar Miller type along with an A-Rob or whoever falls whatever wide receiver falls and then just pounding wide receiver from there on just to have that stability at the RB1 spot right rounds three through five are the worst for running backs yeah yeah looking at the bust rates, looking at the return on expected ADP. So that's really what you're doing. I think that's an even more concise way to look at it than even looking at bust rates is to look at probability of meeting ADP expectations. So what's the probability that a player is going to meet his ADP expectations in terms of season-long output and those early-round wide receivers, as you said, meet their ADP output expectations 20% or greater than the average running back at the same respective ADP. That's a chasm, JJ. And that's the reason why running backs are considered fragile. Now, this word fragile gets conflated with injury prone. It's not. Fragile in the context of a zero RB discussion means that their ability to meet their ADP valuation is less stable. Mm. It's more volatile. The forecast that you assign to a running back is more fragile, is more prone to missing expectation. That's what the word fragile means in that case. And part of the reason is that the running back is also a more injury-prone position than mm. the wide receiver position, We've collected a lot of injury data on playerprofiler.com. If you go to any given player page, like Arian Foster or Jordan Reed, if you want to do a lot of reading, <laughs> you can see their full injury track record the last five years. And we looked at that data across all positions and found that running backs and tight ends miss multiple percentage points, more games per season due to injury than wide receivers and quarterbacks. And that all plays into this idea 
of fragility, the forecast, what you're predicting the wide receiver and the quarterback are going to produce this year is more stable, is more certain than the forecast of the equivalent running back or tight end. And that's why zero RB is becoming more and more and more popular. Even if there's an influx of talent at the position, those fundamentals aren't going to change. Right. Yeah. I I think a a really, really key piece to this too is that a lot of times people draft and they draft based on value, which I get it. You do, you should draft based on value, but I think what value is, is more about general position scarcity in terms of demand of the position. So like quarterbacks, for instance, obviously I draft my quarterbacks late. I've written about it uh, uh, more than I want to even talk about. Have you written about drafting quarterbacks late? Yeah, just a little bit. You have? Where can people find this work that you've done on drafting quarterbacks late? I'm not aware of it. Yes, yes, just a little bit, just a little bit, Matt. Uh, but a, a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with the fact that you're just starting one quarterback. That that's really what the position scarcity thing is. Whereas value at these running back and wide receivers position, wide receiver positions is not just based on your projections. That's why that's a huge reason I hate value based drafting is because value based drafting makes it appear as though you know exactly what's going to happen in a given fantasy football season. And so a good, you know, you were just talking about the the. Uh, the apex draft that we did and we're doing the roto world draft right now where wide receivers fly off the board to an insane degree but at the same time you can't sit back and say oh i'm just going to grab value at the running back position because value in context of this doesn't make any sense let me give you let me give you an analogy here because i thought of this i was trying to think of you know everyone always talks about zigging when everyone zags right like that's 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 the way that's that's how you win fantasy championships is you're zigging when everyone zags no, that, that's, that, that, that's not a thing, okay? Imagine, imagine, here, just close your eyes for a second, Matt. They're closed, they're closed. Imagine that you're, you're at a college party, okay? And there's two kegs. There's a keg of, of bush light, which is everyone's horribly, it's awful, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a case of, and, 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 and this, is, this is college, mind you. There's a keg of Bud Light, which is, which let's just pretend, even if you don't think that it's better, let's just pretend that everyone knows that it's better because it is better, Okay. The line for the Bud Light line, or for the, for the Bud Light keg, is really, really long to get to the keg. So you decide, you say, you know what? I'm just trying to get a little drunk. Yeah, I'm going to go to the Bush Light line. There's no one there. I'm going to drink this crappy alcohol. It's going to be great. Eventually, you realize that you're drinking crap, right? You're, you might be a little buzz. You might be feeling good, but you're drinking, you're drinking crap. So you say to yourself, all right, I'm going to go over to the Bud Light line. And it's going to be great. So you get to that line. There's just a few people there at this point because everyone else has been drinking Bud Light all night and they're loving life. And you get to the tap and all, and all you get is some foam with a little bit of Bud Light in it, right? What, what that, that foam is, is, is your team's wide receivers when you draft running back heavy in these wide receiver heavy drafts. That's what the foam is out of that Bud Light. So Tavon Austin is keg foam? That's exactly what it is. That is exactly what it is. The best comparable for Kamar Aiken on playerprofiler.com should be keg foam. I think that needs to happen today. That is it. That's a value trap. You can't, you can't, look, you cannot sit there and just watch people draft wide receivers over and over and over again if you're in a draft like that and say, you know what, I'm going to zag and get value. Because guess what? The reason people are drafting wide receivers that early in the first place is because they don't value running backs. So in the context of the league especially, people aren't going to be valuing the running backs that you think you're drafting for value. I mean, it's, it's, it's not... 
you know, I, I'm, I'm about the, the, the idea of being contrarian to a degree, but at the same time, you have to put more things in context and just simple value-based drafting formulas. Where value comes into play for me is how much I value him versus his ADP. That's when I think about value. Thinking about value across positions, the first thing you have to do is say, what is his likely fantasy point output versus the stream? Not what is his raw fantasy output. So now that we've done this calculation and we see all of these players value over replacement, but that's not even enough. Right. Because then you have to layer an additional fragility factor on top of that. And once you do that, all of a sudden, all these wide receivers are much more valuable than the running back. If you think about value in a more enlightened way in the context of anti-fragility, And then you can start to use a value argument for making some decisions on running back versus receiver, but that won't even come up. It won't even be a conversation. It won't even be a comparison that's even close until you get to round six or round seven. And by that time, you've automatically gone wide receiver times five just based on value drafting alone. If you're incorporating all of these nuances into your valuation formula, not simply using raw output, and then it becomes more about game theory. Then it becomes more about knowing your competitors and how they value players versus their ADP. And that's when I start to have a value conversation. I very rarely think about value in round three or four. I'm just taking the best wide receiver off my board because their value over stream adjusted for fragility is easily dwarfing the other position. Right. The idea of value doesn't come up until round eight or nine when there is a legitimate debate about whether or not I should be taking a bench wide receiver or a bench running back. Do I take Devin Funchess or do I take Tevin Coleman? There it becomes relevant, but the way people are drafting right now, still so many running backs being drafted in the first six rounds, some of them legitimately, like Lamar Miller, and still you're seeing in the more casual leagues, a lot of those quarterbacks going starting in round three, it's going to make no sense for the savvy drafter to take anything but receivers in most of those early rounds. Right. I, I think the easiest way to think of this is with the quarterback position, which is why I, you know part of the reason I started with the quarterback position is that... When you think about the quarterback position, if you do a value over replacement level formula, that's going to get you in a lot of trouble because it's basically going to say, yeah, of course, Cam Newton is, is X amount better than a baseline player at the quarterback position. But guess what? I'm not playing that baseline player each and every week. I'm going to the waiver wire. I'm replacing him. I'm streaming or I'm platooning. I'm doing something because the quarterback position is very easy to replace each and every week. So to assume that a guy is drafting Matt, who, who's drafting Matthew Stafford, let's say, is going to, to start Matthew Stafford every single week in fantasy football is extremely foolish. But value-based drafting and value over replacement level type formula or replacement player type formulas are going to tell you to get these quarterbacks earlier because they are giving you an advantage over, you know, Cam Newton over Matthew Stafford. Sure, of course. But guess what? Over the last two years on Living the Stream, we've we've streamed QB6, QB5 quarterbacks through using Brian Hoyer type players. So that, I think, is the easiest way to kind of understand what value means in fantasy football and why it's a lot deeper than just simply taking projections and looking at a value-based uh, drafting uh, and going with a value-based drafting approach. Because starting players based on matchups supercharges the stream. Right. You guys can use that term on your show, by the way. Supercharges the stream. <laughs> 
So instead of getting 19 fantasy points per game, which is what the stream averages at the quarterback position, you can get 21 mm-hmm. by playing Ryan Fitzpatrick against the Dolphins. Right, right, exactly. And the same is true at the running back position, JJ, because you could start Bilal Powell in a game against the New England Patriots when everybody knows he's going to get a high usage percentage. I mean, Chris Thompson, there's there's so many guys, exactly. Especially, I mean, look, especially in PPR formats, obviously that's that's where this is the most effective. Yes, yes, PPR. Uh, of course, right, right. Do you know how many people won their league last year with Tim Hightower and Bilal Powell at RB1 and RB2? Right, right. The, the, the thing is that I think a lot of people also, just to be clear too, it's not even just like, oh, this team gives up a lot of, of fantasy points uh, to, to this position, so therefore I'm going to play them. No, it's, it's almost uh, 100% dictated by... Game script, what Vegas is saying. If it, you know, if, if a team is ten point underdogs, if if the, if the Redskins play the Packers and they're ten point underdogs, Chris Thompson's going to get a ton of work. Chris Thompson's a guy that you're going to want to target. Chris Thompson's a guy who's going to probably put up in a PPR league pretty easily put up a nice floor. And if he finds the end zone, all of a sudden he's an RB one for that week. So that's really where that all comes into play. And it's a lot easier to find at the running back position than it is at the wide receiver position, let's say, simply because when, uh, not only that, but this also goes back to the fragility uh, conversation too. A huge reason for it as well is if a running back goes down, it's very easy to tell who that guy stepping in is in a way. I mean, you know that there's going to be a guy that's going to see this guaranteed volume. But then if you look at what happens when a stud wide receiver goes down, it's it, the, the, the targets are mostly dispersed. It, it, it's not evenly distributed. And it's a lot easier then to, to replace that player at the running back position than it is at the wide receiver position correct and if you look at the top 24 running backs and receivers every year in fantasy the number of running backs on that list that were sourced from the waiver wire is significantly higher than the wide receivers that were sourced from the waiver wire because it's instant opportunity if you're a bench running back being elevated to the primary running back position it's not instant opportunity if you're the number three or number four wide receiver and you get elevated to the number two wide receiver in an offense that also distributes the ball to the tight end and the running back in the passing game right it's not a one-for-one relationship oh you got hurt backup guy comes in and takes your target share that's much less frequent at the wide receiver position At the running back position, you often see a one-for-one opportunity share replacement by the backup running back. Think Mark Ingram to Tim Hightower. Exactly. It's exactly correct. And all of these are reasons why you shouldn't be drafting multiple running backs with those early high-value draft capital slots. And you also shouldn't be burning early round draft capital on the tight end position, chasing this Rob Gronkowski dream. Remember this idea that Tony Gonzalez was this competitive advantage in fantasy, and if you got Tony Gonzalez, you won your league because his value over replacement at the tight end position was greater than any other player at any other position, except the fact that tight ends in general score less points than the other positions. And the tight end injury rate and bust rate are almost the equal of running backs. So why are you drafting the position with the least upside that's the most fragile with early round draft capital? That makes even less sense than when people draft running backs and quarterbacks early. The thing with tight ends, you, you mentioned how uh, you know they bust as well. But what people really need to think about 
is you're only starting one tight end on your team each week. You're starting two tight ends uh, or two running backs rather uh, on your team each week, which means that if one tight early round tight end busts, there's only a couple early round like like you have Rob Gronkowski and you have Jordan Reed, right? These are the two early round tight ends that people are drafting. If if Jordan Reed gets hurt doesn't perform, regresses, whatever. If one of those two tight ends busts, that's an it, that's that's an insane bust rate at a position because you're only drafting two of them early. So what that means is there's less room for error in a way because you're only starting one tight end. That goes back to what I in my the second book that I that I wrote. <laughs> my second book. Wow, I've never heard someone on the show and I've had authors come on that have written multiple books, but I've never had someone frame it just that way. Well, that goes back to the second book I wrote. Go ahead, JJ. Go ahead. <laughs> so I wrote the, the late round quarterback and then I was like, there are things after one year, I was like, there are things in here that I needed to dive deeper in and to explain a little bit more. And one of the things, this was back in 2013, one of the things was uh, this this market value drafting approach where it's it's just as much like you need to think about what the opportunity cost is which with each round so this this goes back to tight end where if you're only starting one tight end that means that startable usable tight ends are being drafted in the double digit rounds whether that's Antonio Gates whether that's Dwayne Allen these guys are going very very late and that happens every year i mean over the last 2 years Jordan Reed last year? Hello? Tyler Eifert last year? There's guys that are that are coming up and, and being super, super relevant tight ends. And but what you need to think about with this opportunity cost idea is that the, the point differential, if you want to think in more of a value-based drafting way, the point differential from these higher end tight ends to these lower end tight ends is being stretched across 10, 11 rounds. Whereas at wide receiver, the last usable wide receiver, last start-worthy wide receiver might be drafted in the fifth round, which means there's a higher opportunity cost in not going after those wide receivers early, or running backs even. So to your point, yes, it's it's it, 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 it's mind-blowing to me. And this is really what I've been talking about and fighting about you know, for the, since, since I started doing all this, is that my feelings about tight ends, while they're not as strongly about quarterbacks because the tight end isn't as predictable week to week, so it's not as easy to stream the position, but... At the same time, this is why I never own Rob Gronkowski. I just don't because his, his because his never. because his Ever. impact that he makes on your team can Ever. be made up for at never. the wide receiver and running back positions. Ever. That that's really why it's not that I think Rob Gronkowski's bad. Rob Gronkowski's amazing. He's, he's tremendous. He's the vodka centaur. He's not as valuable as people think in fantasy football because that edge that everyone talks about, the the, the game changing edge, yeah, the, the competitive advantage that you're getting is based on value based drafting, and we already talked about why that's flawed. Glad you came on the show because you and I together, I think, are able to articulate these ideas, these concepts that end up becoming the backbone of the zero RB strategy, which you and I both have implemented in many drafts. Because late round quarterback is really a pillar in zero RB. It's just it's the argument for kicking quarterback out of those early rounds, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. You and I having this conversation, I think, is enlightening for everyone. And thank God we're doing it. So you're welcome, America. Fantasy gamers, you're welcome that we're doing this. So I'm sure checks are in the mail for us. So here's why I would say tight end is right there with quarterback, a position you should never consider drafting in the first 10 rounds. Because while quarterback is easier to stream based on matchups... Yes, it's easier to find a top five tight end at the back of your draft than it is to find a top five quarterback at the back of your draft. What did we talk about earlier? The fact that quarterback forecasts are more certain than tight end forecasts because of 
the forecast fragility and the uncertainty around those positions. And it, again, all this, like you said, when you think about it in a certain way, it becomes intuitive that the league protects the quarterback. All the rules are geared to make sure that these quarterbacks do not get hurt because they are so valuable to the franchise. They are multiple times more valuable than any other position on the field from both a team performance standpoint and a marketing and PR standpoint. The tight end is the opposite. So often the tight end is the anonymous guy. How many NFL football fans could identify tight end target leader Delani Walker if he walked into a room? Right, right. So for that reason, if you do want to lock in a real strategic advantage at quarterback, you are going to have to pay more draft capital than if you were going to do it at the tight end position because last year you could get Jordan Reed and Tyler Eifert late. Those guys this year are named Will Ty and Virgil Green and Vance McDonald. They're going to be in the top 12. Book it. Because we know their situations. Vance McDonald's going to be a target hog. Will Ty is by far and away the biggest receiver in that offense, and they're going to be in the red zone a lot. Virgil Green has been dominating the targets in preseason, and they don't have a wide receiver three of consequence or a running back that's good out of the backfield unless we're talking about Devontae Booker. We've already done the work of identifying this year's Jordan Reed and Tyler Eifert for you, which again makes me crazy when you draft Jordan Reed! <laughs> but I think that that's, that's another reason, though, that like you don't have to feel – you don't even have to feel pressure – and that you have to get – you have to draft – Jordan Reed was picked off of every waiver wire. I mean a lot of waiver wires last season. I mean it's it, – it, it happens every year. I mean obviously a guy like Kelsey, a guy like Eifert, both of them were were not waiver wire guys. But they were 100% double-digit round guys the years that they they broke out. So I think it's thinking of it that way. I mean there, but there's there's so many candidates this year especially. I mean you, you, named, you named some. I think Jesse James could even be on that list in a way just because of, of, of touchdown potential. I mean there's – All right. All right with Jesse James. I'm just saying. Come on. Come on. You're from Pittsburgh. I, I know what you're doing. There's a lot of guys that you can get late like that. Lance Kendricks. Lance Kendricks could be the best receiver in that passing game. Yeah. Think about it for a second. <laughs> He's not a gadget player, and he has working knees. Right. I mean, and last season, another guy, Gary Barnage, right? We didn't even mention Barnage. JJ, we don't have enough time <laughs> yeah. to list all the late round breakout tight ends that happen each and every year. I'll tell everybody this. Once in a while, I'll look up from my phone and I'll be cackling with laughter. It'll fill the whole room. And my wife will look up and say, what are you laughing at? You're so obnoxious. And I bet you my response is someone just drafted Rob Gronkowski in the second round. It's just laughable at this point, given the information that we have at our disposal. The other player that inspires laughter when he gets drafted is Matt Jones. (laughs) Now, you recently mentioned that we're in another expert league together because there's not enough expert leagues in this world. We need more. And this happens to be the slowest expert league I've ever been in. Of all time. We started weeks ago. Well, part of it's your fault because you were golfing all day, quote unquote. Oh, whatever. (laughs) We started this draft weeks ago and we're in round eight. If you actually back it out with the math, it, it really is embarrassing, and everyone should be embarrassed, including myself. I blame myself for not waking up at 3 a.m. one of those nights just to help speed this thing along. But in this draft, I noticed 
that Amir Abdullah was still on the board, Rashad Jennings was still on the board, TJ Yeldon was still on the board, and LeGarrette Blunt was still on the board, and you pushed the button on Matt Jones. JJ Zacharyson, defend your take. Actually, you know what's funny is I think I have Matt Jones in the Apex League, too. And it's it's really it's not. No, you did. You did. You, you've you been hogging all the Matt Jones and I've been, and I've been laughing every time it happens. What's crazy. I mean, I don't even I don't like Matt Jones. Right. I, I, I don't I don't care for Matt Jones. He was putrid last season. Let me get this straight. Let's first set a baseline here. Yeah, I don't like the guy. But right. I, I see it. Look, I see it the same way as I see Latavius Murray, where it's a situation, not necessarily the primary pass catcher. You could say that more for Matt Jones, obviously, because Chris Thompson's the goat. But oh, so good. You have a situation where if he's healthy, given competition, he should be moderately fed. Uh, and and I'm I'm looking at the way my, the way my team construction was because I started with four wideouts. I went four. I went four uh, four, four wideouts in the first four rounds. Uh, and then I ended up getting Geo in the fifth for some floor. And then I got Melvin Gordon in the sixth or one of the two because I was at the tail end of the of the rounds. So I, I wanted really <clears throat> I'm just I mean, at this point, I'm simply looking for balance and for ceiling and, and whatnot. And I do think that regardless of the fact that Matt Jones was terrible last year, I'm, I'm at the point with running back evaluation where I don't care. Um, and I, I have to still look at uh, the way coaches are talking about him the way his competition looks, and what that offense is. The scariest part of that offense for me is the offensive line, for sure. But Oof. but that offense should score touchdowns this season. season. It should present some opportunities. The thing with Matt Jones is you're going to find him going a lot later in expert drafts for good reason because we all feel the same way for the most part about him uh, than you would in casual leagues. In casual leagues, he's so priced out, it's ridiculous. Um, but, but I think all in all, there's enough upside for me as my RB three after getting a, a nice floor guy in geo. Right. And then I, 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 an upside guy in Melvin Gordon, obviously there's enough there. You know, I'm not starting the guy every week. I have four very solid wide receivers that I'm just going to look for upside. I'm going to look for, Hey, a lot of running backs were really putrid during their rookie season. And I'm not saying Matt Jones is going to be a, cause he's not Devonte Freeman. He's not Le'Veon Bell. He's not, he's not that, but at the same time, our, our valuation of running backs is very off when, when compared to other positions. So I'm looking strictly at opportunity. I'm looking strictly at what coaches are saying. And I'm looking at competition. There's no competition. He, he's competing with, 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 a, with a, a legitimate dad runner. Rob Kelly. Right. A legitimate a le- if they don't sign anyone and that's the other thing too is I think a lot of people are scared off because of them bringing someone in number one number one whoever they bring in has to be someone who got cut because the free the, the pool right now is not very strong but number two they they, they didn't make moves this offseason to improve that and they, they had opportunity to do so I really think that they're going to just run Matt Jones I don't like Matt Jones as a player but hey I'm human there's variance in fantasy football so I'm gonna buy into it a little bit <laughs> he really came strong at the end with I'm human. Yeah, I mean, well that's the thing though, man. Like like a lot of times like I'll do those I'll do those periscopes every day, right? I'll do those periscopes every day and people will come in and say, "Who do you like between this guy and that guy?" Oh, I can't stand that. The false dichotomy. And it's it's like it's like, look, I'm going to say this guy, but tomorrow it might be a different guy because right. they're so close in like potential like like if i'm looking at like i don't know eddie lacy and and lashawn mccoy or something where i where i might not have like an insanely strong take on it uh i might say lashawn mccoy one day i might say eddie lacy the next day but the answer is lashawn mccoy but go ahead i like i like i like shady more i mean as as the seasons as as the off season's gone on i'm all about shady but oh yeah but like like 
realistically, like the way you are better at fantasy football is by understanding that the way you project and the way you view players and all of that can be wrong and it's going to be wrong. And that's exactly what, look, we just talked about variance and zero RB and and all of that just a second ago. That's all part of it too. Our, our, what the way we view these guys is going to be wrong. There is, there is still, okay, look, we hate Matt Jones, right? You hate Matt Jones. I don't like Matt Jones, but there is still in Matt Jones, there's still the possibility that he is a fan fantasy relevant running back this season there is still you can't even say there's none because there is some i've seen matt asiata be an rb1 in fantasy so i'm not going to say anybody can't be fantasy viables but there are levels of certainty and to expand on your point about projection confidence and zero rb implementing a best available player strategy is the arrogant approach to drafting that's you saying I know what these players are going to do. Zero RB is the opposite. Zero RB is the humble approach. It's saying, I'm going to draft a bunch of bench receivers because I don't know what's going to happen. And this is the most valuable position on a fantasy squad. So I'm going to make sure I'm strong there because I know I don't have all the answers. Right. And it, and it actually, you can translate that same thought to, to real football GMing in, in the draft, right? Where where these teams are drafting their BPA, which is the dumbest thing in the world because it's still subjective as hell. And they're, they're drafting these guys when what they really should be doing is drafting positions of impact, where they should be getting those edge rushers, they should be getting those wide receivers, those quarterbacks, those cornerbacks. Those are the positions that they should be focusing on rather than saying, I evaluated correctly, therefore this is what I'm going to do. There's a reason in the real NFL that the best teams are the ones that load up on draft picks to increase their probability. That 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 that's it, it's because of because we are human, which is why why I said I'm I'm human, right? And that's right. the same way that I view a guy like Matt Jones who who look in on both teams, both the APEC look, these are the only two leagues to be to be candid that I own Matt Jones only because he dropped, in my opinion. Do you have like a rear view mirror on your shoulder so while you're backpedaling, you can make sure you don't trip and fall? Listen, listen, I'm, I'm being honest. The Matt Jones thing, he's not a starter on either of those teams, but there is still in his range of outcomes. If I'm drafting him as an RB3 after getting stud wideouts, in my opinion, I mean, Michael, Michael Floyd's my wide receiver four in this in this Roto World League. I mean, if Matt Jones becomes even anything, he's he's hitting his value where I, where I drafted him. He, he because like like we talked about in those seventh, those eighth, those ninth rounds, that's where we're actually talking value. You know, whereas we're pounding wide receivers earlier and such. Uh, th- this is that that's really what I mean by uh by by getting Matt Jones here by looking strictly at upside because I do think the offense that he's in. Because there's a lot of there is a lot of ambiguity, but that ambiguity also presents upside. That's an interesting point. At this point in a draft, round eight, round nine, you're no longer drafting starters, and you mm-hmm. should be focused on upside, not filling out your roster. This is why the best drafts often score poorly in those automatic draft grade algorithms. Yep, bingo. Because it's focusing most of the scoring on the starting positions, and you're not getting a lot of credit for having incredible bench depth, especially upside on your bench. So I understand why you would take Matt Jones over Rashad Jennings, for example. But I did get Rashad Jennings in the next round. No, I, I just can, can you Hey, just, I'm just I'm, look. I'm helping you. This is I'm agreeing with you. Don't you know when I'm agreeing when someone's agreeing with you? So that's why you drafted Matt Jones over Rashad Jennings because. If you were standing on a trap door and I said, for your life, 
Who's going to score more fantasy points this year? I know, and you know, that I know, that you know, that I know, that you know, that I know, that you know, that it's Rashad Jennings. Of course. Of course it is. It's a range of outcomes, and you're pegging a guy with more uncertainty to a higher ceiling. My argument would be, in reviewing the Matt Jones profile on playerprofiler.com, and looking at situation, I believe TJ Yeldon and Amir Abdullah actually have more upside because they're more athletic, they were more productive in college, and they're on offenses that also project to score a lot of points. And Amir Abdullah specifically has someone that looks exactly like Chris Thompson in the backfield with him in Theo mm-hmm. Riddick. So I think that Amir Abdullah and Matt Jones are in very similar situations. It's just that I trust that Amir Abdullah is good Mm -hmm. more than I trust if Matt Jones is good. So while I admit that I don't have all the answers, I still have strong opinions about the talent level of players. And I just don't think that Matt Jones and Amir Abdullah are particularly close. And to take it a step further, I would take TJ Yeldon over both of those guys Mm -hmm. because what TJ Yeldon offers in the passing game is above and beyond anything I've seen from Amir Abdullah or Matt Jones at the professional level. And TJ Yeldon is much like Charles Sims to me. Yeah, He has standalone PPR value while sharing a backfield with Chris Ivory. And then he has true fantasy RB1 upside in the event that there's an injury next to him on the depth chart. Yes, absolutely. Love both Amir. I, I love both of them, own a ton of them, best ball leagues, whatever. Um, it was really just me looking at my particular team construction in this case uh, with having, because I see a Melvin Gordon as a very, very high upside play. Uh, if he were to take some of those red zone looks from Danny Woodhead this season, I see Geo as the obvious floor play where you're 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 getting Geo at a at an RB twenty three or whatever cost when he's never finished below RB eighteen in a PPR format. I would argue that we all understand Geo Bernard's floor. What's missing from the Geo Bernard analysis is his ceiling. Yeah, because Geo Bernard has a LaShawn McCoy profile. Yes. They look very similar, and you can't tell me that just because you've never seen it before that Gio Bernard can't be an every-down player in the NFL. Agreed. Players that look like Gio Bernard have been every-down players in the NFL every year stretching back. In the recent past, we've always had guys that look like Gio Bernard getting the lion's share of the carries and the passing game work, and that's how RB1s are made in fantasy. Mm -hmm. He absolutely has that kind of upside if Jeremy Hill face plants again how much longer do you think the coaching staff on the Cincinnati Bengals who absolutely must make the playoffs to keep their job is going to continue to let Jeremy Hill touch the ball when they know that Giovanni Bernard can get more out of every carry than Jeremy Hill can yeah yeah of course you know there's a ton of up there's I, I just I love Gio Bernard this season he's awesome I love him too like I mean he's just he's to me he's the perfect He's a perfect fifth round running back when you go for wide receiver. Like the the absolute because like I said, I drafted him for a floor personally, but you 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 know you nailed it with the ceiling piece because it's that's also a reason to love Geo. And then I turn around, I get a guy like Melvin Gordon who has a scary-ish floor just because of what happened last season, but there is a ceiling just given the offense that he's in. And given given that team construction and given what was there on the board at the running back position in the 7th and 8th, that's where I said to myself, look, I'm fine if I want to just get Matt Jones here and just see what the hell happens because I feel very good 
about what my team looked like at that point. And then I knew that whatever Clay did at the turn, I was going to be able to get a scrap, whether it be – in this case, it was Rashad Jennings, which I you know, obviously would have a more predictable, higher floor than what a Matt Jones did. So it's almost – I almost did the exact same thing in those rounds just in reverse from what I did in the fifth and the sixth. And that's really the reason I, I, I went after Jones in that case. Makes perfect sense. The reason why we're spending so much time talking about micro tactics in round seven through 11 is because that's when leagues are won. And that's also when the picks aren't quite as automatic. Mm-hmm. In the early rounds, you mostly go according to your board at the wide receiver position. Then in the later rounds, we all know who the guys to get are. So in round 13, you're going to draft Chris Thompson and you're not going to think about it. It's just that easy. Mm -hmm. Right. These rounds that are positioned in the exact center of a draft are the ones that need the most scrutiny. So that's why we're spending so much time on this. We've talked about Chris Thompson a couple times. I think that he is the most trusted back in that offense. And for that reason, I think that he is going to be Danny Woodhead East this year. They're going to use Chris Thompson in the red zone more than anyone imagines. I could see it. I could see it playing out that way. I mean, I've I've certainly gotten more of him than Matt Jones this year. Um, but I, I I still view it. I, I I still view him more as like the Theo Riddick of this season, just because I think that a realistic outcome is not necessarily that he's that he's going to be taking those red zone looks. But look, a, a big reason that we should be scared about Matt Jones is because of his fumbling issues and because that's not what you want in the red zone, right? I mean, that's all I'm saying. Matt Jones profiles more of like the prototypical red zone back, if you will, the, the goal line back. But I, I can I can see a scenario where Chris Thompson becomes the Danny Woodhead of, of this season for sure. But I, I still think that the the, the more likely outcome is that he's more of the theoretic. Right. According to Matt Kelly and J.J. Zacharyson, the worst case for Chris Thompson is 80 receptions. <laughs> right, right. An RB2 lock-in fantasy. Now, here are a few players that are not locks for fantasy relevance, but a lot of fantasy experts are getting excited. They're getting hot and bothered about these players, including your co-host on Living the Stream, Denny Carter. Players I'm thinking about, Kristen Michael, Jared Cook, Mike Wallace, these have been perennial non-factors in fantasy, some of the most inefficient players at their positions, and yet they're inspiring some of the most enthusiasm in the fantasy football community, and I don't understand it, JJ. Yeah, I mean, the the, the Kristen Michael thing is one that's very, very interesting to me because um, we're obviously putting a lot of stock into what coaches are saying and what he's done in the preseason, uh, but it's number one, it's not like he's never done this. Number two... We saw him as a starter last year. Like we saw him like if he were something right, we saw him as a starter last season. He didn't do anything as a starter. Generally speaking, they, they draft two more running backs. They bring Christian Michael back. Then sure. He's, he's this Thomas Rawls handcuff. I mean that, that whole backfield, that whole backfield to me is just a mess. Uh, I, I'm, 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 I don't, I don't buy into what the, the, what, what's going on with Kristen Michael. I think that when, when you see, I, I can understand to a degree where you're saying this guy didn't produce in college. Maybe there's this, cause you know, it's, it's, there, it's, it, there are questions because we haven't seen him on the NFL field. We've seen Kristen Michael on the NFL field as a starter at this level. So it's not like he's changing situations drastically. There is this collective amnesia with certain players And I can't always predict who these players are going to be. The fantasy football community is so fickle, 
I can't predict who they're going to lock in on. The fact that there's this much enthusiasm about Jared Cook is something I couldn't have imagined in my wildest dreams. But when you look at Kristen Michael, the Seahawks cut him last year. Then the Cowboys cut him. Then do you know who else cut him? Washington. Washington, the team we were just talking about that has the least talent on their depth chart said, eh, you know what? Never mind. Right. That's all I need to see. I don't even need to go back to his completely underwhelming Texas A&M resume or his first three seasons in the NFL where the Seattle Seahawks didn't trust him to carry the ball even once during a game. So, but I'm not necessarily enthusiastic about Thomas Rawls either. Right. I think there's a chance Alex Collins gets meaningful carries. I think that CJ Proceis will get significant snaps, particularly in the passing game. So I agree. That's a stay away backfield. Look, look at this situation with Christian Michael. And it would be one thing to feel somewhat optimistic if it was a backfield cleared for him, right? If it was a if it was a Matt Jones situation where there was literally no one super, super significant that can take those early down carries. But in this case, what you're banking on with Christian Michael is that not only does he turn the corner dramatically, but these other running backs aren't relevant, which I just can't see happening in an offense like that, especially with the talent. I mean, like like you said with Collins and Procise, both of them are very talented backs. And then you also have Rawls, who was uber the most efficient running back in the league last year. Right. So if Rawls is if Rawls is what he was last year, then Kristen Michael, like how is how is there a path to fantasy relevancy here? It doesn't make any sense. I don't see it. I'm also not certain that Jared Cook is going to outsnap Richard Rodgers, and I'm not certain that Mike Wallace is going to outsnap Kamar Aiken or Steve Smith. So I just don't see the upside with these players that others are seeing. One of the great red flags for me are players that underperform their athleticism going back to college. And that's been Jared Cook's entire career. That's been Kristen Michael's entire career. That's been Mike Wallace's entire career, except one season in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Players that are underperforming their athleticism going back through time. And this is one thing I've noticed with fantasy analysts, they start talking about players as if they were just airlifted onto an NFL field today, as if they don't have two, three, four years of college experience that you can go back and mine for clues about their ability. It's one of the great exploitable facts in fantasy that very few experts are paying any attention to players while they're in college, and they often will get fooled by a Cody Latimer. Oh, Cody Latimer is now the number three receiver in Denver. He's interesting. Put him on your watch list. No, don't pay any attention to him. Right, right. He was completely underwhelming at Indiana, despite being clearly by far and away the most athletic player on the field. That's a major red flag. Same is true with Kristen Michael. Same is true with Jared Cook. Same is true with Mike Wallace. Do you notice this? It's as if fantasy analysts go out of their way to completely disregard college resumes. It's bizarre, is it not? Yeah, I I think that there's two things at play here. There's what you said with Cody Latimer is a really, really good uh, um, example because people look at situation, number one, and then they take that and they need some sort of confirmation bias. And that confirmation bias is, hey, I liked this guy coming out of school because, look, there are there are some players who weren't productive in college that that become something, right, because of, of the way that – their, their physical profile looks, their measurables look. I, I understand it's not as great as, as guys who are producing at that level. Once a year, you'll have a Martavis Bryant. Right, 
one. Right, right. But I think that there there are a lot of analysts and folks that want to nail that guy. And you fall in love with these these particular players. And when you see that their situation has become something, you then say, oh, look, this guy, like, uh, like he wasn't good in college, but who cares? He has this situation, and I love his measurables, and I love what his potential is. But I think that's a trap. It's mostly always a trap. Um, so to me, uh, you know, I, I, I try to stay as level-headed as I possibly can with fantasy a- analysis in general. I think that's a really, really good way if you're in a savvy league to exploit drafts for sure. And if you do your homework on playerprofiler.com or numberfire.com, metrics powerhouse sites, and you do your research on these sites particularly articles evaluating these players going all the way back in time, zooming out and saying, what is this guy's range of outcomes? Then you can put those players on your watch list. And then when opportunity opens up, you can aggressively bid on them with your fab bidding. Mm -hmm. You can be the first to go there. But if you're just blindly bidding and picking up the next guy that gets an opportunity, you're destined for fantasy mediocrity. However, if you know that Jarek McKinnon is the truth and that he has top five running back upside if given opportunity, then if Adrian Peterson goes down, you can either pick him up off the waiver wire or make a godfather offer to someone in your league that happens to own him if you don't own him and overpay for him, quote unquote, at the time, and then go out and win your league with him. That's why it's important to know that Tevin Coleman rushed for over 2,000 yards at Indiana of all places. Right. So that when, so that if Devonte, so that if Devonte Freeman breaks his collarbone or suffers a major concussion, you can be the one to pounce. But also last year, knowing that Matt Jones couldn't eclipse 800 yards at Florida, had a 4.9 yards per carry at the college level, a 20% dominator rating, which was 26th percentile, you knew that when opportunity opened up in Washington and that he joined a timeshare with Alfred Morris, that he didn't have the talent profile to seize the job. Right. And that's exactly what happened. Right. But... So many analysts see one long run by Matt Jones, they see that opportunity, and then boom, they're they're already extrapolating a player that doesn't have the requisite talent profile out to RB1 status. Yeah, sure. I don't I don't disagree with it. I think that's that it goes back to to me, if you're going to get a guy like that, like me getting Matt Jones. I'm not trying to hammer you on Matt Jones. Here's what happened there. The Matt Jones player page just happened to be open on my screen, and that's why I defaulted to him. I could have gone with someone else and I should have probably. I, I think this goes back to what we were talking about, where like sure the, the hit rate on those college players who didn't produce at a high level like a Matt Jones, you have to look at your individual team construction in that case. I would never, ever have drafted Matt Jones if I didn't have what I felt comfortable at the running back. Was it with a Geo and with a Melvin? I wouldn't, I wouldn't and, and what was there at going to be there at the turn for me, I wouldn't have gotten Matt Jones. But that that's the way that you have to think that it, like, there is that upside, like, like you said, a, a good example being like a Martavis, right? Where like that can happen, and that oh, it can happen. And if you see that the situation is right, it's 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 a low percentage play. But if you feel good about what where your team is at, there's still that upside that presents itself. So I think a lot of it is a combination of, like, sure, you have to look at at the college production. You have to you have to look and see if there's that that 
almost you, you can almost think of it as at least like a, a, a safer floor, right? Whereas a, a Matt Jones who didn't produce in college uh, is coming up with his situations right now. I'm just being that guy who's I'm not. It's not even confirmation bias because I didn't give a crap about Matt Jones last season, but I, I, I think that. It just has to do – you have to put all those pieces together uh, in order to kind of nail it home and hit that home run. We're just trying to create micro advantages every week, and then over the course of two, three, four, five weeks of fantasy football, suddenly your team has developed into a powerhouse by capitalizing on a number of micro decisions. Mm -hmm. By making the right micro decision over and over again, I can look at a waiver wire article every week and immediately cross one player off the list near the top because his profile on playerprofiler.com tells me, oh, this isn't going to happen for this guy. And yet every year there's one receiver and one running back that beats the probabilities. Thomas Rawls beat the probabilities last year. One of the reasons why is because he has a running quarterback and Russell Wilson occupies defenders in a way that, for example, RG3 was able to do for Alfred Morris in Washington. Then you saw what happened last year to Alfred Morris without RG3 in the backfield occupying linebackers. Alfred Morris was completely neutered. That's one of the reasons why Thomas Rawls is an intriguing guy because... He does have a running quarterback who's opening up bigger, wider lanes for him. However, there's another issue with Thomas Rawls, and that's his ADP. If he's being drafted in the first five rounds, Mm -hmm. I'm not interested because this is the other thing that fantasy analysts do so often. They take a small sample size from the previous season, three, four, five games, extrapolate it out to a 16-game season. All of a sudden, C.J. Anderson's getting drafted in round one like we saw last year. The same thing happened with Thomas Rawls this offseason until his injury rehabilitation was delayed and then the emergence of Kristen Michael has since tempered expectations of Thomas Rawls but up until that point he was being drafted in the second and third round of fantasy was one of the top running backs drafted in dynasty based on a handful of games started there's another fantasy football pitfall yeah you know what's funny is I I did a study last season on just what an early round running back bust looks like Everyone thinks that it has to do with age and it has to do with this cliff. It's not. It doesn't have to do with that. It has to do with small sample sizes. It's almost entirely small sample size based. It's 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 younger guys are actually busting a lot higher in the early rounds than these older guys are. Like a like I mean, there, there's a reason that you know Adrian Peterson is an easy go to, but there's a reason that the Lashawn McCoys, the Jamal Charles, all those guys like I. I would much be more inclined to take Jamal Charles over some of the other unproven guys, despite the ACL, just uh, aside from some of the younger guys that are going early. Not, 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 I mean, I love David Johnson. Well, David Johnson's a perfect example of a player that if you zoom out and look at his entire college resume, all the lights were blinking. Right, right. This guy is going to be a star in the NFL. And so all his first year in the NFL did was confirm the things we already believed about his talent profile. Right. And it's it's hard for me to look at early rounds today and say, this is the guy who I think is going to bust at the running back position. But if you want to fit the profile, I'm not saying these guys are going to bust per se, but if you want to fit the profile, I mean, someone like uh, that uh, of a younger guy who we don't necessarily have a massive sample size of, there's not a ton of them, but it would probably be Devonte Freeman right now. It would probably be that if you were to kind of fit that into this mold of what I'm, I'm talking about. It's so hard for any of us to conceptualize mm-hmm. what being fooled by randomness is. 
The idea that you could take 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 200 carries, and that so many of these impressive runs that Thomas Rawls and Devontae Freeman executed last year, that so much of that output and production was actually attributed to randomness, given the sport they're playing, given the physicality of it, given the raw athleticism required to play it, it's impossible to conceptualize just how much randomness is at play mm-hmm. in Devontae Freeman's 2015 season. But you know what? There's a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, it's, it's, it's an interesting, you know, to, to me, like, it's fine if you got some exposure, like there's, there's, you know, the upside that he could do what he did last season. It's all part of his range of outcomes, which is a, a big thing that I like to focus on when I'm drafting. But also part of his range of outcomes is the fact that, things were pretty random and that that it could be scary and that there's Tevin Coleman there and that there's 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 look there is that profile of a running back that that do bust early and of all guys not you know looking at this list of early ADP guys of all guys Devontae Freeman fits the profile most both Devontae Freeman and Thomas Rawls have unimpressive college resumes Mm -hmm. and if you just look at week to week rushing output last year put the passing game off to the side because thomas rawls isn't a good receiver Devontae freeman absolutely is Mm -hmm. the rushing totals from Devontae freeman's game log are the definition of random Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i mean not only that but a lot of times the way we view players and fantasy football assets is we look at, at at fantasy points scored, which are also skewed very heavily by touchdowns and which are also skewed heavily by opportunity. And last season, Devontae Freeman got a lot of opportunity close to the goal line. He sees that opportunity, but there's also some regression coming there. And we saw that regression hit during the second half of last season where yeah, it hit. It already hit. This is what I can't stand about the way that uh, that that folks kind of look at the Devonte Freeman situation and they'll say, Oh, well he was still RB eight through the second half of last season. Whenever, uh, you know, he, regression was hitting and things were slowing down. It's like, yeah, he was RB eight in literally the worst running back season that we've seen in years. He was RB eight. And he was also RB eight where you're, you, you're, you're completely omitting how he was RB eight. He was getting fed still. That has a lot to do with what he like you said superior pass catcher great pass catcher that's how we th- yeah. that's how we thought he was going to be used i mean but they drafted tevin coleman this regime was the one who drafted tevin coleman in the first place i'm the, the, the problem is though i'm not as into like tevin dra- like i would much rather be targeting the tj yeldon types rather than the tevin coleman types just because they have three down back potential right whereas tevin yes. coleman you know if something were to happen to devonte freeman when something did happen to, to devonte freeman last season tevin coleman wasn't even the primary third down back they had like Teron warden there and a bunch of other scrubs so uh, you know they, they were working on his pass catching ability and and whatnot but i still think that you know you can't like Devontae freeman was very very volume dependent last season and that's scary and from a fantasy football perspective especially when you factor in the fact that that he's going to see some touchdown regression it's 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 a little frightening but again you can buy into the variance and buy into the fact maybe Devontae freeman isn't horrible and, and, and is is very good, I should say, not not isn't horrible. You combine the fact that maybe Devontae Freeman is really, really good and he's somewhat of an anomaly, and that's fine because, you know, especially if you're in like a best ball league or something where you need to get first place and Devontae Freeman has shown a pretty crazy ceiling, but at the same time, range of outcomes-wise, you know, I, I, I don't own any Devontae Freeman in a season-long league, for instance, because it just doesn't, to me, it doesn't make sense to. 
last year was the year to have Devontae Freeman. Isn't that the most obvious statement of all time in the history of fantasy football, that last year was the year to have Devontae Freeman, not this year? Right. And again, if we zoom out and we look at these players, player profiler pages, and we ask, who are these guys in a vacuum? Situation agnostic. What is Devontae Freeman? He's a hell of a lot closer to Shane Vereen than he is LaShawn McCoy. Mm. And Shane Vereen will never do what Devontae Freeman did last year in Atlanta because it's a different scheme. He has a different role, but their abilities are very similar. Last year in Seattle, they did not have a pass catching back. So Thomas Rawls was on the field pass blocking pretty uselessly. You don't need a running back occupying blitzers when you have Russell Wilson. Mm -hmm. It's it's wasted personnel. You'd much rather have C.J. Procise flaring out in that situation. And that's what they're going to have this year. So already Thomas Rawls' snap share will never approach what it did last year. But at least Thomas Rawls profiles as the primary ball carrier. Devontae Freeman doesn't even profile as a player that should be receiving the majority of the carries in Atlanta. If you were taking a step back and you didn't know what happened last year Mm -hmm. and you were an offensive coordinator, it would be the most obvious thing in the world. Tevin Coleman's our early down guy and Devontae Freeman's our passing down and two minute drill guy. And this is, I mean, hello, one of the more obvious skill-based role deployments I could even dream up in a hypothetical scenario for you would be what's the optimal way to use Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman in the NFL. It's just so easy to figure out. And yet their ADPs are so far from aligning with that. That's why Devontae Freeman's untouchable and why I own Tevin Coleman in a lot of leagues. And if I were standing on that trap door and I had to pick for my life, Who's going to score more fantasy points? I would probably take Thomas Rawls over Devontae Freeman for those reasons. And if I could pick two backs being drafted after round 10, and I could update my lineup every week based on matchup, I would rather have the combination of LeGarrette Blunt and Chris Thompson than only Thomas Rawls or only Devontae Freeman. Because LeGarrette Blunt is very similar to Thomas Rawls. He's someone you want to play when you think that the Patriots are going to be winning, particularly by double digits, and he's a guy you just as soon bench in a shootout. Chris Thompson's the opposite. If you see a shootout coming, go ahead and start him. That's just another reason why you can stock your bench with all these running backs and play the matchups just like you're playing the matchups with the quarterback position. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't have said it really better than what you did there. I agree. In totality. In totality. So if you are drafting a quarterback late, is there any chance, any chance at all? I mean, just 0.01% chance, just based on upside, just based on the fact that we don't know what we're doing. We don't know anything. You know, we're very humble. Yes. (laughs) Meanwhile, we're not. (laughs) That you would draft Derek Carr. Look, the only reason I would be okay with Derek Carr is because his early season schedule. That that's really the main reason that I would be targeting Carr. But look, we saw last season Carr had a had a, a an obscenely high touchdown rate to start the year, uh, which started to regress. I know part of it was part of it was Amari Cooper's injury, um, but his touchdown rate started to regress at the end of last year. He finished with a five point six percent touchdown rate. I did a regression analysis that looked at touchdown rates from one year to the next, and the the, the drop in touchdown rate or a rise in touchdown rate 
to the to the to the mean. Obviously, in in a in an analysis like this, a guy like Aaron Rodgers is just naturally going to have a higher touchdown rate because he's just better. But generally speaking, players that have had a 5.6 percent touchdown rate, which is what Derek Carr had last season over the last five years, the next year they have a 4.94 percent touchdown rate. So there should be a drop there. I also. If you look at every move the Raiders made this offseason, it was to help the defense and the offensive line. I think that they want more of those positive running game scripts, which is another reason why I'm okay with Latavius Murray, just because even though I don't love Latavius Murray as a player, the the, the situation's definitely right. Uh, so there's reasons that I'm not as optimistic about Derek Carr. And I also, look, I mean, two years ago, or at the end of this rookie season, I wrote an article saying, is he the future of this of this Oakland Raiders franchise? And I can't show my face in Oakland anymore after after writing that. But I still think that there's questions. There's plenty of questions. I mean, trolling Oakland Raiders fans with a scathing review of their golden-armed quarterback, Derek Carr. Right, and I had the realization after writing that, that, look, I, I know this is the, the brightest thing that they've seen in, in years, so it was probably a little harsh. I mean, I did the same. The, the thing... <laughs> The thing that the thing that's crazy. The thing, but to be fair, Matt. To be fair, I did the same thing with Andrew Luck before last season, and uh, the, the the Colts fans were just as rabid. It's just the quarterback position. Oh no, they're not. Raiders fans are rabid assholes. But but the Colts fans were. Oh well. To be fair, though, the the the, the Luck article I did was then talked about in the indie star so that we had a different demographic that was that was reading that so that that wasn't raiders fans will shiv you in the men's room if they don't like your article true very true but but so so you know with Derek carr i still question i question that whole draft class i question bortles i question Carr. i question teddy i, I mean it's it's I, I just i don't i think that a lot of times in football this is specific to these guys especially bortles a lot of times in football we undervalue what an interception does to a team, which is why like the net expected points metric we use is, is pretty important and valuable because one interception is not the same as another interception, but that's the way it shows up on a stat sheet. You know, if you're throwing an interception on third and 15 from, and you throw like a, a basically a punt, right? That's different than throwing an interception like Russell Wilson did in the Super Bowl at the end of, of the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. Like that's brutal. Yeah, it's, a, it's a completely different change in win probability and expected points. And, you know, when you when you factor all of that in the profile of what Derek Carr is so far is just not nearly as good as what people think, because I think the general population gets enamored with touchdowns and they get enamored with touchdown to interception ratio, which has been proven to not correlate to Jack. It's just not a thing. So what you really need to look at is average yards per attempt, average net yards per attempt. Um, and then obviously, you know, when, when and from a fantasy standpoint, you have to look at touchdown rates because those are that's that's something that will regress very quickly, um, whether it's coming from Cam this year, which he's going to regress. And uh, slow down. there's 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 it, it happens. It's- we know the touchdown rate's going to regress the rushing touchdown rate, but he could be epic this year. Who Cam? Yeah, but the thing. So here's the thing with Cam, though. He had a 7.1 percent touchdown rate last year, which was like three percent higher than his career average. Right? If he if he's even if he regresses to what the regression model shows, it would be in like that 5.8 percent range, which is still really high. But that's still dropping pretty significantly in the touchdown in the passing touchdown column for a guy like Cam. The thing that we always have to remember is Cam Newton last year was a freak of nature. He was amazing. He balled out. 
But the problem is, in order to be that true QB1, or in order to be that MVP, you're putting up mostly an outlier season to begin with. It just That's just the way that it is. It's, there's, there's a reason that when Tom Brady throws 50 touchdowns the next year that he plays, he throws something like 28. It's because it's very difficult to repeat these crazy performances, and that's what we're going to see from Cam this year. I like Cam's, Cam, Look, Cam can still finish as the QB1 in fantasy. He can still have a great year, but there's not a chance, even with Calvin Benjamin in the lineup, there's just not a chance Matt mathematically that he does what he did last season no he he won't i think there's a way he can do it with more yards and potentially even more passing touchdowns even though he'll have less rushing touchdowns having kelvin benjamin's a big deal and he was 27 so there's this growth curve too it's not like he posted a career year at age 32 where it's much more prone to randomness. You can put the you can put him on a developmental curve too. You have had the number one quarterback overall repeat. Yes. It's possible. It's just not likely, but I'm just not a guy that's out here betting against Cam Newton. I don't think that's a sound approach. I think you're much better off taking the low hanging fruit rookie quarterback and trolling an entire fan base <laughs> by shredding him with a february article completely out of the blue just to get clicks i think that's the way to go <laughs> it was not even not look there is a very the reason this this whole thing exists matt the reason this whole thing exists is because like three years ago i did a quick study on how quarterbacks perform their rookie season and how that translates to the rest of their career if you think about the good quarterbacks in the league every good quarterback in the league how many of them had bad rookie years and, and i'm talking about the, the just uh, the, the true franchise quarterbacks and the only guy that you can really think of is drew Brees. and what he needed was a change in environment in order to even be what he is today and so if you look at guys, even even when you dig down to like Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan was great his rookie season. If you look at Ben, Andrew Luck, I mean, there's, there's just, it's crazy. What you're saying right now is more of an indictment of Blake Bortles than anyone else. Yes, I don't disagree. I'm I'm not I'm not a Bortles guy. I mean, I'm from a real No, I know you're not. I, this was all, Listen, you think that I'm playing gotcha when I have a grand plan to make this all about Blake Bortles. You just need to trust me, JJ. So, I mean, like with Bortles, I'm fine with him from a fantasy perspective because of the volume and what he can do. Um, uh, from that perspective and the negative game scripts they see and the fact that he just degaffs, right? I mean, the negative game script thing really, uh, he, he's a rare case because usually positive game scripts are just better for quarterback play. Uh, but uh, from a real football standpoint, he's a perfect example of someone who were underrating what these interceptions do or were underrating what the sacks that he, I mean, he has really bad pocket awareness and, and we're, we're underrating those aspects of of their play because of what they're doing on in, in fantasy football and in, in in these raw stat sheets. Have you ever seen a quarterback be called for an illegal forward pass two consecutive throws in the red zone? No. Well, I have. It happened last. Yeah, week. it was. Like, it was. It was. I mean, I'm saying aside from him, no. All the worst possible quarterback events are always comma space with the exception of Blake Bortles. Hey, but hey, he's I'm, still I'm, very usable in fantasy. In fact, I I remember many matchups last year getting my face ripped off 
when someone else was starting Blake Bortles and I was starting Carson Palmer thinking I had an advantage and then all of a sudden there goes Blake Bortles again Yeah, in the fourth quarter. Hey, Always in the fourth quarter. Always thinking you had the matchup won when Blake Bortles is sitting on 120 yards and an interception after three quarters. Then he somehow finishes the game with three touchdowns. Get you out of here on one question. Who is this year's Allen Robinson? Is it Dante Moncrief or Michael Floyd? Dante Moncrief. Who's going to score more fantasy points this year? I know, and you know, that I know, that you know, that I know, that you know, that I know, that you know, that it's Rashad Jennings. I couldn't have said it really better than what you did there. I agree. In totality. I once ordered an Antonio Brown jersey, and it came, and it the, the brown was upside down on the back. It's actually better than the regular, but then I got the regular one, and I got to keep the upside down one, so now I have both. We've already done the work of identifying this year's Jordan Reed and Tyler Eifert for you, which again makes me crazy when you draft Jordan Reed! I couldn't have said it really better than what you did there. I agree. In totality. I'm going to send my neighbor Pat an email and let him know when I typically do podcasts so he can not mow his lawn at this time because then I have to close my windows and I have to turn the air conditioning on and this is, it's so inconvenient. Oh my God. People mowing their lawn at inconvenient times for podcasts. Thanks, Obama. I love Yeldon this year. I know that you are going to yell at me on the show for taking Matt Jones over him, but I have a, I have logic to it. Normally those are surprise questions. Like, defend your take. <laughs> These questions are not going to be in order. We're not going to have formalities. It's just going to be ping, 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 like throwing stars. I couldn't have said it really better than what you did there. I agree. In totality. Wow. Yeah, sorry I haven't tuned into your periscopes. I've been really meaning to. I'd rather do a podcast 5,000 people will listen to. Does that make more sense? That helps my brand. This little fucking Twitter exchange you and I are having is going to be lost in the sands of time a hundred times faster than my podcast will. (laughs) That I own Matt Jones only because he dropped, in my opinion. Do you have like a rear view mirror on your shoulder so while you're backpedaling, you can make sure you don't trip and fall? Once in a while, I'll look up from my phone and I'll be cackling with laughter. It'll fill the whole room and my wife will look up and say, what are you laughing at? You're so obnoxious. And I bet you my response is, someone just drafted Rob Gronkowski in the second round. Six to 7,000 Twitter followers? I was, was dredging. It was like me within the, in the Arctic. Maybe, no, actually the Antarctic. And I had snowshoes and one of those sleds, right? And my dogs had all died. All my sled dogs had died. Penguins are passing me on both sides of the road of this makeshift ice road that doesn't exist. And I'm just trudging along to get from six to 7,000 followers. It was so much work. And then to get from seven to eight, it happened like overnight. And now I'm almost to nine. And I didn't even do anything. I couldn't have said it really better than what you did there. I agree. In totality.
And then I, I told Denny, I said, Denny, if you wanted to get verified, you, you actually have a case because of all these parody accounts. Exactly. Exactly. These things are almost like a scheme. You couldn't even make it up if you were trying to get verified. Like, you would have to pay thousands of dollars for some shop in Bangladesh for you to even do this to get verified. And it, it happened organically to you. I mean, it's unbelievable. Congratulations. I couldn't have said it really better than what you did there. I agree. In totality. Raiders fans will shiv you in the men's room if they don't like your article. Dante Moncrief. I love Michael Floyd. Love Michael Floyd this season. Think he's the best Arizona wide receiver to buy. No, stop, stop, stop. stop. JJ, JJ, just make it really like dramatic. Just say the word Dante Moncrief. Okay, okay, I got you. I got you. Do something cool with just, and then we'll just end on that. Okay, okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. No analysis. Dante Moncrief. Booyah.